Welcome to 97 Octane Hockey. Today we have a very special guest sitting in with us. He is a former NHL goaltender who played for six different teams over 11 seasons, including the New York Islanders, St. Louis Blues, Minnesota Wild, Florida Panthers, New York Rangers, and last and certainly least appealing to Oilers fans, uh, the Calgary Flames. He is also a Bill Masterson trophy winner, a survivor of bacterial meningitis, and a lover of homemade pasta. He's now he's now an analyst for TSN, TSN Radio 1050, NBC Sports, and the NHL Network, where he shares his knowledge and humor with hockey fans across the country and North America. He is none other than Jamie McLennan, also known as Noodles. In 1989-90, my weekends usually consisted of driving to Lethbridge with my sister and my mom to watch Jamie play with the Lethbridge Hurricanes when I lived in southern Alberta's Milk River. Jamie... On behalf of my co-hosts, uh, Chad Graham and Bob Schmidt and myself, Mike Dursa, welcome to the show and thank you for being here. How's it going? I'm not too bad. Thanks for having me. Uh, that's uh, quite the intro. I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> you, you deserve it. I, I guess one other thing, Jamie, you're probably used to a little bit of this and I can't do it for too long or we'll get in trouble. But uh, the old, uh... Running, running down a dream, eh? You betcha. <laughs> that was our. Uh, we used to come out to that song in Lethbridge. Uh, it was kind of neat. That that does bring back every time I do hear that, like randomly. I do think of like coming out to in Lethbridge. You come bombing out of the tunnel there, so that's pretty cool. Did um, it? Dr- I gotta ask you right off the hop. I guess did that drive you nuts because it it was like it was like your entrance song. It was like it when you scored. It was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it got a bit old, but you know what? Like, it's sometimes there's certain buildings. There's just a song attached to them where it's like, okay, I I know. Um, you know, I can't remember. It's called Chelsea Chelsea Dagger. That song, that yeah. You know, like so they play that in Chicago, and you know, but when you get scored on, and we were <laughs> I was playing for Calgary one night, and uh, I was uh, I think I was either backing up or I was the goalie coach, and you know, we, we had a rough night. It was like a seven or eight banger that, that they, we gave up. So I remember going to the back of the plane and Mika Kippersoff leaning up. I just leaned over to him and said, how's it going? And he just leaned over and just said, da, 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 da. <laughs> it was like, it, it was like stuck in his head because it was, he gave up. Uh, there was a bunch of goals that went in that night. So there's certain ranks that are attached to, uh, to a song. Uh, even back in junior, I played, uh, uh, against the Kamloops Blazers, they had that taking care of business as you skated out. So, you know, sometimes it's just that certain songs are attached to the building. So, you know, running down a dream, it was me with the Lethbridge Hurricanes. So we got a comment. Uh, I guess we should keep people, uh, their comments going. Why Noodles? Uh, noodles is a nickname that came from junior hockey. So I started my career in... Um, spoke with the Spokane Chiefs and then got traded to Lethbridge and we would back at junior like keep in mind I'm 52 years old so I played junior when I was 16 17 18 type of thing so you know pre-cell phones pre-anything there was one plug-in on the bus and we used to like nutrition was didn't exist back then so you know you're you're you know you're on a seven-hour bus ride and your pre-game meal was like a place called bonanza or ponderosa it was like these salisbury steak and um so you know i always felt like halfway through the second period like the steak and the gravy would be like in my throat so i started bringing a crock pot on the bus we had one plug-in and i would i would make like just crack mac and mac and macaroni and cheese like that was it and i would eat that and it got for a while that other guys would stay on the bus with me so i'd bring extra and we, we'd eat instead of those guys having heartburn too so it, i kind of got the nick, nickname noodles and it didn't like i thought okay you turn pro it it doesn't follow you and it literally followed me so you know whatever it is 32 years later 33 years later you know people still call me noodles and it, it you know it's not a sexy story it's just the truth i just hate it i hated the pre-game meals that we ate on the road in junior hockey so i would make my own is, is Kelly Chase the, the guy that gave it to you? Is that true? No, I didn't play. I, so I didn't play junior with Chaser. I feel like it was a guy named Kevin St. Jocks. Okay. So 
Jocko was the leading scorer. I think he won the, the scoring uh, race the one year um, with the Hurricanes. But I, I feel like it was Kevin St. Jock or, you know, somebody on the team that year. But, uh, um, you know, Kelly Chase certainly helped, helped my uh, nickname to stay alive in the St. Louis days, put it that way. So he's the one that brought it from junior to pro. <laughs> well, I think it just, you know what, there's just a lot of people that there's so much crossover and, as you guys know, in the NHL and in pro hockey and in the hockey circles, everybody knows each other, right? So it's just kind of the six degree separation. So that's pretty much, uh, um, you know, that it, it followed me to the island. I feel like maybe it was Dean Chenault or somebody like that who, you know, uh, was play, had played in Medicine Hat. But just people, people knew it and it stuck with me, put it that way. Well, the pasta thing back then, that was, uh, that's carb, carb loading, right? That's all before bio steel and protein shakes and that stuff. I mean, you're just, that's a, yeah, that, that, exactly. that is a game deal. <laughs> Honestly, it, it's true. Like that was my carb loading was just like Kraft mac and cheese. And, and even if it was a short game, so say I was playing in Lethbridge and we were playing medicine hat, I would just bring like Kraft dinner in like one of those like Ziploc bags and just eat it then and, and whatever. But it's, it's kind of funny because, uh, uh, honestly, I, I I wasn't, like I say, back then, nutrition wasn't very big. So it was like, yeah, we'll have some pasta before the game. Like nowadays, guys are so dialed in with nutrition and have their own personal chefs and, and the meals and the shakes are made and all of that. I used to think working out in junior is like, hey, I'm going to go for a 30-minute run, you know, open the front door, run for 30 minutes, come back, and, and I'm fine. I'm in shape. Nowadays, the guys are – so, you know, so dialed in as far as the tune in tune with their bodies. So the game's just a lot different back then. Well, we used to go to training camps uh, to get in shape, right? Now they show up in uh, in shape for training camp. We actually have a bit of a Lethbridge connection, Hurricanes connection. Uh, I never, I never played major junior, uh, but uh, I was a goaltender consultant for their training camp uh, in 2006. So I was kind of a prevalent uh, for the nice. Lethbridge Hurricanes. I got it. Uh, you were in the cool. 1991 draft in Buffalo. Did you go to your draft? I did. Um, because back then, I want to, I can't remember how many rounds there were. It was like maybe 12 rounds or whatever. Yeah. But I was, I was 19. I just turned 19 and I was eligible, or I was turning 19. I was eligible to be, to go in all 12 rounds. And I was rated the number two goaltender in the draft. So I knew I was going to get drafted. I just didn't know who or where or all that fun stuff. And, um, you know, Buffalo was, it was the Eric Lindros draft. And if you actually yeah. go back, if you go back on the video and watch Eric Lindros, you know, get drafted, him stand up in the stands, I'm, I'm sitting right, right next to him, like kind of right above him. Him and I became friends uh, at the Memorial Cup that year. We were award winners and we were the only two players that were up for awards but we weren't in the tournament. So him and I hung out the whole weekend. So when I got to the draft, he was like, yeah, come sit, come sit next to me. And I, you know, back then you don't think, okay, all the cameras are going to be on that guy, uh, especially when he doesn't put on the jersey and he doesn't want to go to Quebec. But um, it was, it was really neat. And yeah, I went to Buffalo and, you know, uh, there was, there was a lot of like uh, great memories out of it, um, including personal one where my brother was like, enjoyed the the buffalo wild wings a little too much i think he went missing for a day or something and we you know he turned up a day later as he had gone up to niagara falls or something so anyways we we had a we had a good time or our family had a good time out in buffalo in 91 it was so you said you were the number one rank or number two ranked number goaltender but you were ranked, chosen yeah. for, but you were the first goaltender chosen though in the 91 draft no if you go back the Edmonton Oilers chose a guy named Andrew Verner in the second oh, right. round. Verner, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Andrew Verner was taken, and then I was the second goaltender taken. But I, I don't know where Verner was ranked. There was actually a goaltender who was ranked number one. His name was Mike Torchia from the Kitchener Rangers. Torchia ended up going to Dallas in the fourth yeah. round. Um, I was taken second by the Islanders. And Chris Osgood went to Detroit, and a guy named uh, Marcel Cousineau, I think, went to Boston, and then it was Torchia. So, but Werner, I don't know if Werner ever played an NHL game. No, he and, did. He played exhibition game. He got an exhibition game, but you're right. He never played an NHL game. Yeah, I remember being so sad because in the paper, 
you know, back then it was like, you know, the Edmonton Journal, I think Jim Matheson or somebody asked, you know, Kevin Pendergrass was like, why didn't you take the local boy? And, and they were like, oh, we feel that Werner has more upside. So I was like, all right, fair enough. So, <laughs> so either way. Where's his upside now, hey, Jamie? Well, he's, I, I, I don't know. I, I think we have a few mutual friends, but yeah, I never played in the NHL, put it that way. Were you aware then ahead of time about the uh, possibility of the Eric Nendro saga? You and Eric were pretty good buddies, but did, did he kind of give you the heads up that he wouldn't be smacking on the jersey or any of that stuff? Not really. I mean, yes and no, because I think what it was is uh, it was kind of like well publicized. But I remember being in Quebec. The, the Memorial Cup was in Quebec City. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of people that were like, hey, Eric, we want you to come here type of thing. But honestly, I, you know, back then, I didn't know how big of a trailblazer he was, you know, based on, you know, his preference to not go there or however it was. I don't even remember like the, the whole backstory to it, but uh, I didn't know much about it. To be honest, you're, you know, I was just a kid and just try, you're, you're all just trying to worry about your own situation. I had a lot of anxiety as to where was I going to go and who was I going to play for and all of that type of stuff. Was I going to get drafted and, go back to junior as an overage or was I going to turn pro as a 20 year old or a 19, 20 year old. So uh, I was kind of more just caught up in my own little bubble. So you go to long Island and your first. Uh... <laughs> Good Lord. Share the stage, Bob. <laughs> I paused for a minute. You didn't say a thing. So I told you I got lots on. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, and, go ahead. And, and, it's funny because you brought up you, you the last the last question you asked him. You brought up Jim Matheson, which was awesome because I actually my favorite article that I've ever writ, read about Jamie is the one that uh, Jim wrote last year about you. Everything you said was bang on. It's exactly how I feel, and I want to ask you some questions, some deep, hard questions. <laughs> All right, so prepare yourself for this. <laughs> you, you talked in that article. You brought up things that, that when you talked about Oilers goaltending back, you know, when when Mike and Koski were there, and Stewart um, about the you know the issues that you know of Mike getting hurt and Koski having to come in and taking over that that role, and it was unfair. How much of that do you attribute as not just a former NHL goaltender, but as an NHL coach, goalie coach, to the Edmonton goalie coach? In bringing Koski to the American game, did they screw him by taking away what he was doing in Europe that made him so good, or was it a you know were they trying to help? Well, I think I mean you know Koskinen, he was like thirty, wasn't he thirty years old when he pretty much came like back, you know, his second or third mm -hmm. time around really because they I think he played like five games for the Islanders when he was like yeah. twenty three or twenty four, and then. I don't know if it's messing with anybody. It's more about your adjustment to the game. Like, you know, NHL, it, it, and not even like the NHL game, but the style, the size of the rink, everything. You know, you can play in the KHL. And I think I believe Koskinen was a really good goalie in the KHL. Mm -hmm. But that's the second best league in the, in the world, not the first. You know, there's a lot of great minor league players that come up to the NHL and you're like, okay, there's a reason why you play in the minors. So – there were times where I watched Koskinen play where he looked like he was six foot, whatever he was, seven or whatever, this monster in the net. And yeah. then there were, t there were times where I, I was like, God, that guy looks like he's five foot six, you know, right. like he just sh shrunk and played a smaller game. And, and that was more when he got motion in his game. There was like, there was all these holes. You could see the net. Whereas, just naturally, if the guy just butterflied, you, you barely, if he slowed his game down, you never saw much net. So I, I think it's more about just giving him the opportunity. But clearly, I felt that those guys, I don't know, getting screwed is the right word. It's more, they never were healthy together. So that's a, like, if you're not, a, like, I'll give you a, a prime example, and I'll just use myself, okay? I was given an opportunity to play short-term starter minutes here or there. When I played in St. Louis with Grant Fury, he hurt his knee. I needed to play 10 games in a row. So 
I knew I could handle, you know, five or six games in a row. I was always a starter and junior and everywhere else I played, but at the NHL level, I wasn't a starter. So if you're asking me to punch above my weight, some nights I'd be able to do it, but then eventually, you know, the real, we call it Jamie McLennan would surface is like, okay, I don't have it tonight. I'm, you know, I'm not good enough to play 12 quality games in a row. I can give you four, I can give you five, and there might be a dot in there. So I'll come back to the Koskinen situation. When Mike Smith was hurt, it was him. And it's like, okay, you got to run this guy. I don't know. He wasn't, it's clear, he wasn't an NHL starter. So you're asking somebody to punch above their weight and do it in, you know, in a Canadian market with high expectations, you know, you name it, all of these things. So that was the toughest part that I've always found with that tandem is they were never healthy together. Because if you actually look, when they were both healthy and played together, I thought their numbers were decent because they, they neither one of them was overplaying. You could actually share the net, have a little rest, go back and, and, and reset as opposed to playing every night. So that was my, my biggest struggle with that goaltending tandem back then with Smith and Koskinen is neither one of them were, you know, they, they shouldn't have been, if they were healthy, they should have been spaced out in their starts. And, and it was like, okay, we're going to run Smith a bunch of games. Or we're going to run Koskinen a bunch of games. And then they would erode and it would look ugly. So that's literally the best answer to that question I've asked for. So thank you for that. Now, my next question is this. Um, so last year's playoffs, came to LA when uh, Campbell comes in, saves the day by leaps and bounds. What do you do as yeah. a coach? You saw it. You saw exactly what question you saw what I saw. And when Jack saved the day and I saw Skinner having some flaws and not to knock Skinner because he's played, he played great all season. You could tell he was a rookie. They paid Jack came in and actually did a great job for them playoffs. Why did they not go to him? Well, in your opinion, six, even like, I, I think the biggest argument, like I, I put it this way. I think it was fine to go back to Skinner after the first pull, but not the second one. That's because when he was letting twice, two, right? Yeah. Right. When he let two underneath his skate, you mean? Yeah. The right, the right pad, the right. He, uh, yeah. He actually got pulled in a third of his starts in the playoffs, Jamie. Right. That's, that's what I mean. And Jack let in on goal. Jack let one Listen, goal. I, in. There, there was, there was a time. What's the game that they came back in? Was that what? What game number was that? Were they in LA? Wasn't that where? I think that's played? game four, and LA would have took a three-one series lead. I and think Jack, that's and Jack. Made, basically, that's the reason why they won that series. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I thought he was brilliant. Yes, but uh, oh yeah, you know what? I was getting mixed up on. Sorry, I was talking about the Vegas series where yeah. I think he should have started game six. You're right. So here's here's what I I was fine if you get pulled once and you get put back in because as a competitor you're like you know what I want I want that net back I want give it back to me but when you're getting pulled multiple sure. times that's when you're starting to see okay maybe they've seen something so I, I'll I'll move away from the LA series because they got it done okay but I'm more going to talk about Vegas <clears throat> where it's a scenario where. You could tell it just wasn't working for Stewart. And that's where it's like, okay, he gets pulled. You can go to Jack. And if Jack gives you those types of minutes, go back to him and run with him. So it's, it's, that's where I know sometimes you get coaches that, uh, that will die on a hill and go, okay, just that he's our guy, no matter what. But I have, I might be the only guy who, who would say this, but I expect things to be different this year. Because I expect Jack uh, Campbell to to have a bounce. There's two of us. There's two of us that'll say that. I promise you, three of us. So three, three, four. Okay. The reason I'm I'm a forward, Jamie. My opinion doesn't count. Well, okay, but (laughs) I'm gonna lump lump you in. But here's why: I thought Ken Holland had a really interesting comment at his year-end presser, where he said, "If you take a look at the history of players that have changed teams on contracts or whatever." He said, not all of them, you know, hit the ground running. You know, you can look at Kadri, you can look at Huberto, 
Um, the only one who hit the, hit it out of the park was Matthew Kachuk because he was up for the heart. He was brilliant in the playoffs. Um, but everyone else who changed teams, there was a lot of them that struggled, including Jack Campbell. So what do I expect from Jack Campbell this year? A lot more comfortable in his environment, comfortable in his skin as a goaltender, knows what to expect, like knows the tendencies of the D in front of him. You know, it's kind of like your first run through. It's like, okay, been there, done that. A lot more comfortable in the city, everything. So I, I expect more of a goaltending battle this year than last year where we all expected Jack to play 50, Stewart to play 30, and Stewart to kind of be groomed. It went the other way where it's like, okay, Jack's, you know, we're winning games 5-4 and he's not playing well. And it's like, okay, we're, we're going to bleed him into the lineup. And then down the stretch, I thought they played uh, Stewart too much down the stretch too. There was a time where I think he played like 12 or 14 or something. I'm like, why, why so much when you're a team that's been an absolute juggernaut? Um, you know, they, they ended up with 109 points and they were the best team in the league statistically from like January on or whatever. So you're, I, I felt like they could have just dialed Stewart back a little bit, even if he was going to be their guy give Jack some starts where it's like giving Stewart some, some real good quality time to work at his game. So, um, you know, it's, 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 it's very interesting. I'm looking at the, uh, the, the comments here from Neil Uh, Boston should have pulled Allmark too. Montgomery won the Jack Adams and made this similar decision. It's a good point, but if you actually look, Boston, those guys alternated until the playoffs. Right. And then it was like, okay, we're going to run Allmark. And I'm like, hold on a second here. You know, Swayman, when you lost game five where Allmark gave the puck away, you could have gone to Swayman in game six and, and been fine with it. So, you know, it's it's a tough situation when it comes to goaltenders. There's only, what, seven or eight situations in the league where it's like you know who's starting every night. Now you're down to when you're in a tandem situation, you're it's a coin flip. Like you're going, okay, who's going to play? Who's playing better for us right now? Who do you trust more? And I, I, there's an old saying: it's if you have two number one quarterbacks, you don't have a number one because you're always, you know, guessing. You should have played that guy. Should have. And that's where I think you get to a situation if you've got a tandem. There's always somebody going to go. I like that guy better than that guy. So the coach has to trust somebody. And it's easy in hindsight to go back, but at the end of the day, um, I I think especially in that Vegas series, when things were a little bit you know disjointed, I, I would have gone with Jack in that game six because I just didn't like what I was seeing from you know what was going on with Stewart, unfortunately. And I think he had you know he had some great growth, but you know I expect I expect growth from him this year too, and and a bounce back. Uh, you know, playoff uh, as well. So I like both of those guys. I just I got, go, I got to ask you something out. a little more pointed on that, Jamie. If if you were going to make that switch to Campbell, would you have done it earlier than Game Six? Though, like to me, that's that's really putting him in a pressure cooker situation. Yes. I guess that's why you pay him what you pay him. But would you yeah. make the switch earlier? Um. Because I mean, Skinner got I've, pulled twi- two games in that series, right, or three? Wasn't it? Wasn't it game two he got pulled? Or game one, wasn't it? Game. I'm trying to remember which game he got pulled against uh, <clears throat> Vegas. I think it was game two. Yeah, no, he was pulled three times in, in the playoffs because we played yeah. 12 games, and I remember he was pulled in a third of his starts. I would have gone to Campbell earlier, put it that way. Yeah. And that way it gives you, it gives you an opportunity because you can always go back too, right? Yeah. That's the thing. You were keeping Campbell kind of on an island. Mm-hmm. Well, which is uh, you're kind of messing with both goalies' confidence at that point, right? I mean, Skinner is obviously not uh, feeling all that confident because he's getting pulled all the time, and Campbell's playing lights out, but he's not getting a start. So both goalies kind of wondering kind of where they where they sit at the moment. So, yeah, how I mean, much of that is actually as a goalie coach? How much of that is how much say does a goalie coach have to a head coach? Well, I think you're a voice in the room, but you're not the voice. The coach always has the final say. The coach always has that. Like, if, if you hear a head coach go, well, the goalie, the goalie coach is making that decision, they're lying. 
because I've, you know, every coach I've ever worked with and ever worked under, even with, you know, great goalie coaches. I had Billy Smith, I had Dave Marcou in Calgary. I've had some really good goalie coaches. They all, and then being behind the curtain, you bring your opinion to the table and then the coach takes it into, you know, advisement. But a lot of it is their hunch, their trust, their, you know, I think when you look at it, you know, Jay Woodcroft knows Stuart Skinner as much as anybody because he had him in the minors. So, you know, there's there's a sense of like, okay, I know this guy, I know what he's capable of, especially when he was my starter down there as far as handling pressure. I'm gonna, you know, I'm I'm gonna press him and, and see if he can respond. And unfortunately, you know, Stuart didn't respond when, when it was needed, uh, you know, in those critical games against Vegas. So how I much guess time? Mike, go ahead, Bob. I know. Well, how much time as a goalie coach did you spend scouting the other team's goalies? All the time, but you're also scouting the tendencies of players. And mm-hmm. back then, there was a system, and there still is a system called RinkNet. So every, all the information gets pushed to it. So nowadays, if you see guys with iPads on the bench, that's a video coach pushing you know, all your, your latest shift. So I could go into the system and go, you know, if, if I was playing today, I want to look at every goal I've given up. I want to look at every shot I've faced. Uh, I want to look at Connor McDavid's, every one of his shifts. Uh, I want to look at, you know, the tendencies, every one of his shots, breakaways, like the, the amount of analytics that there are, you know, there's a, uh, you know, company like sport logic has like 3,500 data points per game. So you can dial into it. Uh, you, you know, you, you can get really pretty deep into those rabbit holes. So, uh, you know, when I was a goalie coach in Calgary, a lot of times I'd have to go back into um, the game film and I would write down time codes and then we w- I would have our video editor clip them and then I would show it to Kipper or Vesa Toskal or whoever I was working with, Curtis McElhenney, and say, you know, I w- always pre-scouted their top scores I pre-scouted, and then we would all do the technical stuff on our own goaltender. So there's a lot of prep, and then there's times, too. This is the crazy thing. It's almost like being a parent. Um, you feel like, okay, you put in three hours of, of prep into, like, um, hey, this is what I want this to look like, and, oh, here's their power play. Here's their penalty kill. Here's their top players, their tendencies. And then you walk in to show that player, you know, whether it's Kiprasov or, you, you know, whoever, Curtis McElhinney, they're like, I don't want to see anything. I, I, I'm, I'm good today. I, I'm, 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 you know, I know that team inside out. And you're like, okay, as long as, you know, as long as you're comfortable. But that's the thing. So there's other times where the goalie's like, I need to see everything. I want to see, you know, the defenseman who has eight shots on goal all season hasn't scored. I want to see what he's up to. So there's the information is at your fingertips. It's how much the goaltender. Or the players too, because I used to, I used to pre-scout shootouts. So I would go and sit down with Jerome McGinley and go, okay, this is what this goaltender has been beat three times on this move. Uh, I'd show Alex Tanga and the guys who we would probably choose in the shootout. I would show them tendencies of the other goaltender. This guy likes to cheat. He leans this way. He's a poke. Mark Andre Fleury likes to poke check. So be aware of that. There's so many things. The amount of information on, you know, the video now is, is insane and accessible to everybody. So do you, so, do you think Dustin Schwartz of the Edmonton Oilers has the same work ethic as you do? I don't know. I, I, like, you know, I, I know Kevin Woodley, who is, runs In Goal Magazine. He speaks very highly of Dustin Schwartz. I, I'm sure that he has every resource to him that I just uh, named. I think here's the other thing I would say about goaltending coaches. A lot of it is we can all do the technical stuff. And especially these goalies are now really dialed into the technical stuff because they do it in the off season. A lot of it is about relationships and how you manage that player and how you manage them mentally, uh, how physically, you know, the preparation, I wouldn't say it's the easy stuff, but it's the stuff that just, it's a routine. Okay, uh, you know, the Oilers are playing Seattle. Okay, Matty Bernier's or whatever. I, what's he been up to? He's left-handed shot. He likes to shoot from here, shoot bad angle. We'll do all these types of stuff. But then it's more about, okay, where's your positioning? How do you feel about this? 
keep in mind, like, if you're dealing with an athlete a month into the season, nobody is healthy. Like, you're only healthy one day of the season. That's training camp. And that's if you didn't get a, a, an injury in the offseason. So you're always got something nagging. So you're, you're also dealing with, you know, the person and, and what they need that day. You know, and, and, okay, you need to prepare for the game, but you also need um, – you don't need that many shots. You just need some technical stuff that day. Just to – I think that it's more about the relationships and what people need. So, I don't know. Like, I don't know Dustin at all. Um, I know Kevin Woodley speaks highly of him. Uh, he's been there with the organization a long time. So, um, you know, I, I, I just that's, – that's one relationship I really don't know – uh, when it comes to, I know a lot of other goaltender coaches throughout the league, so I can speak to them. But, you know, it's sometimes uh, I don't know if you're going, it's like, hey, he's been there a long time, maybe changes in the air. But at the end of the day, um, you know, if he's worked with Stuart Skinner, Stuart Skinner had a pretty good season last year. It just kind of fell off at the end. Uh, we'll see what he does with Jack this year. Well, yeah, but Jack, Jack at the end of the season went back to Emu and Ranford and all of a sudden started playing with Jack again. That's what I'm talking about. So why would he go back to his old coaches if, if he was looking for something to spark his fire? Well, Dusty's a good friend of mine. Dusty was my junior partner, right? Yeah. Um, Dusty's uh, more the, the mental guru. He's very, very uh, strong at uh, the relationship aspect. So, you know, maybe it's, again, it's easy to point out, like Jack had tremendous success in LA uh, with Dusty and Billy. And, you know, you go with people that you're comfortable with. Like I know personally, Dave Marcoux was a great goalie coach in Calgary, who's a personal friend of mine still to this day. So, you know, you get this comfort level and maybe that, you know, comes back to it's more about relationships. Like you've got to you've got to have trust in somebody that you you're working with every day. And and you know that first year, maybe there was some bumps, and it's like okay, you got to get through it. So we'll see how it unfolds this second year. Put it that way. My my sister's trying to annoy right. you, annoy you, the new uh, Oilers goalie coach here. <laughs> um, <laughs> they, they can't afford me. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, Jamie, my uncle used to say like a goalie coach you can't turn a Pinto into a Ferrari. Um, the, the thing I think that gets Oilers fans and Chad uh, kind of dire up though is, you know, Barry Stafford was an equipment manager in Edmonton forever, did a fabulous job, but they, they let him go. And, and it seems like Dustin Schwartz survives anything that comes his way. So Ken to Lowe. me, the guy, the, to me, yeah, Ken Lowe, to me, the guy is either really good at his job or, He's got he's got blackmail material or something like it. Just you uh, know, everyone has an expiration date. Um, you know, it, it, it seems like there has been some turnover. You know, I guess at the highest level now, Jeff Jackson coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he might have a higher level, different look. Um, I you know remind me, did Jay Woodcroft work with Dustin Schwartz in the minors at all? Did that coaching staff work with them? Like, do they have a long history? Like there are some things where, you know, maybe it's a fit, but you might just see that there's a change along the way. I don't know. Um, you know, the one thing I, I Dustin 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 worked with with uh, with Skinner for most of his career. I'll give him that. But uh, Dustin spent most of his life a in college golf, like in, in teaching in university and teaching that area. So his. Because NHL, he's never played the NHL. He's never had experience in NHL. So, I mean, I, I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I'm never going to say that. I'm just saying he's not working for us right now. He hasn't worked for us for a long time. And it goes back to Koski. It goes back to Mike. And your article, that article that Jim wrote, everything you say makes sense. Why are these guys not watching? Like realizing that the majority of our shot, the, the goals are getting scored from the slot. You're 100% right. So who's yeah. not scouting this? Well, you know what? You're, it's funny. It's it's scouting. It's more, to me, it's more about execution. And, and you know what? You don't have to be an NHL player to be a good coach. And I'll, I'll tell you, who, you know who one of the best goaltender coaches on this planet is? It's a guy named Mitch Korn. And I don't know if you, if you Google him, Mitch 
I call him, he's the Yoda of goaltender coaches. He's a little guy and there is seven or eight goaltender coaches in the NHL right now that all worked under him at some point. Now he runs the New York Islanders program. He went, he ran the Washington Capitals program for years. He got Braden Holtby uh, of Vesna. Uh, eventually they won a Stanley cup there and he was linked to Barry Trotz. He went to the Islanders. Uh, Mitch Korn is elite and he's created Mike Bales, Ben Vanderklok. Like you, there's, uh, there's a, I think four or five goalie coaches right now in the NHL that Mitch Korn helped produce. So, you know, I look at, you're right. You, you feel like you do need to play a high level or have a high level understanding, or you need to be an out of the box thinker. Seattle Kraken's goaltender coach is a guy named Steve Briere. Steve Briere is a brilliant mind. Okay. Oh yeah. So, Oh yeah. So, so Steve Briere, was in Toronto for seven years. If you take a look at his body work, so so Steve had Jack, Steve had Freddie Anderson. He got them both in the All-Star game. And then, you know, Toronto, after seven years, decided to make a move, okay? But, you know, when I talked to Steve, I learned something every day, even though I played in the league, and I understand the relationships and that. But this is, guy, this is a guy who's a student of the game, but he's also very technical. So... Uh, but he's also not shy to challenge the boundaries. So, you know, coming back to it, it's not so much your resume of where you played. It's how you can apply the knowledge that you're learning over the years um, to it. So, you know, when I, I, I can name you a lot of great goaltender coaches that weren't, you know, NHL players or stars, including myself. I wasn't an NHL star. I knew what I, I, I played in the league and I had a good understanding of it, but it's more about, I think, and I think where you guys are headed is if Dustin Schwartz hasn't had tremendous success with his goaltenders, you know, maybe, is that what you're saying? It's more maybe, with, you know, look for somebody else type of thing to come in. And, you know, I guess the, the question I would pose back to, you know, three of you, even though two are only goaltenders, um, is now does that mess with Stuart Skinner's mojo moving forward no. if that relationship has been there? Well, the thing is, too, like, give... what gives Schwartz the advantage right now, too, is the fact that uh, Skinner did get nominated for a Calder. And then, of course, Skinner gives him a lots, lots of credit for it. So that's that's going to be one of Schwartz's uh, saving graces this year for sure. But you're right. Maybe that, that does affect the relationship between uh, Skinner and Schwartz. Uh, I just know as Oilers fans, I know Chad always speaks from the heart when it comes to Dustin Schwartz, and I'm sure I respect that about him. As uh it's just been frustrating, and not just not just watching our goalies as much as also the scouting of the other team's uh, goalies, especially the lesser-known goalies. So, as a goalie coach, uh, you having been a goalie coach, you have a you have a huge uh, lots to choose from sample size for the starting goalies. Uh, what about those guys that come up, like the third stringers and the four stringers that come in? Uh, what kind of scouting report can you do on them? Where do you get access to that in order to to find weaknesses or tendencies in their game? Well, as I was saying before, these programs now, you can't hide. Like, you're, you know, there are parents right now that are watching their eight-year-old play soccer on, you know, like a, uh, on, on their iPhones because there's cameras out there and you can sign up for a program once, you know, once and pay 20 bucks a month to watch your kid play hockey or watch your kid play soccer or baseball. Um, there's, a, there's a company out of Regina called Home Team. I I know the venture capital group that invested in them and they, they have six cameras that are HD and they set up in like a rink and you can dial in on a, at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday night to watch whoever's playing there, that team. So point being is there's no hiding. The pre-scout is out there. It's more about, you know, I used to watch AHL games on my computer when I was the goalie coach in Calgary because I would want to watch our Abbotsford goaltenders and see what they're doing. And so you could get, you get many levels of information that come to you. And then you get the scouts that are at the game. They give their, their opinion on it. So there's nowadays there's no hiding. So if I'm looking at the third goaltender, chances are there was 119 goalies that played in the league last year. There's only supposed to be what 64 technically. Yeah. So every team, other than the Edmonton Oilers, knock on wood, they're for them because they were one of, I think, of eight teams that only had that two played two goaltenders. The Ottawa Senators had seven. 
Yeah, I think the the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs had like six go through. So if I want to scout Joseph Wall coming up from the Toronto Marlies, I can dial into the AHL. I can look at pre-scouts. I can look at game film. So I'm already pre- prepared. If I'm if I know Dylan Ferguson played one game for the Ottawa Senators, he was in the East Coast League. If I could look up Dylan Ferguson's body of work and I can pre-scout and look at a lot of tendencies that he has and says, you know what, he leans, he, he cheats and leans to his glove side and leaves the blocker, you know, 12 inches above the ice or 14 inches above the ice inside the post. You know, if you have a blind shot, shoot there. You know, if I'm a guy who, you know, you could figure out all the pre-scouts on guys because, again, you're coming at, at, at an angle with pro hockey you can't hide nowadays. Like everyone's got game film. Everybody's got something. It's more about digging into it and, and having that, that book on everybody. Well, that adds to the frustration so that- level then for us, uh, uh, for the Oilers, because like as dominant as we were offensively uh, as, as a team, uh, we struggled against uh, backup or third stringer uh, goaltenders. Um, we, we've had 25 games against goalies that were uh, at that time, either a backup or, or further along the line, and we finished three games below five five hundred against them. So, what are we missing there? And when it comes to scouting those guys, if, if all that information is out there, what's being missed that we can't? We, we're not as effective against, against those guys as we are against like Jacob Markstrom or or what right. have you. Well, I, I I'll give you an example. I'm trying to remember his name, and I'm just looking it up on my phone as we we talk right now. There was a kid that made fifty saves with Anaheim in Edmonton that night. Um, he got called up and the Oilers did everything. It, the shots were like, I think 50 to like 19 or 16 or something. Anaheim won like four, three, something ridiculous. And I'm trying to remember this kid's name because I watched him at the NA, the AHL all-star game this year. So he's Anaheim's, we'll call him third goaltender. He's like 21 years old. And he, he stole the game for Anaheim in Edmonton this year. And it was when Edmonton was going through a rough patch. Um, but you can't, the pre-scout on that, that goalie, there was, they were hitting him. Like he was literally in the wrong position. At one point, I think he was facing the wrong way in the net and dry side will hit him in the ass. Like stuff like that. Those are like, okay, you, you just got to throw your arms up and go, this kid just stole that game. And you're right, like there's certain, like, you know, shame on the, if you haven't done the, the, the research on who you're playing. Okay, yeah, so Rob just wrote Lucas Dostal. That's right, yeah. Dostal. The kid, the kid was in the AHL All-Star game. He looks like he has some ability. That night, he was ridiculous. It didn't matter if McDavid had 10 breakaways. For some reason that night, he was stopping them because McDavid would miss the net on nine of them or, or hit the post or hit the crossbar. Like, there was some weird things. Because I watched every Euler game last year where I always felt like if they lost to a team, it was a bad timely goal against, like, <laughs> or a bad defensive. Like, that New Jersey game, I don't know if you guys remember that. They were up, like, 3 nothing, and then just pissed it away right near the end, or 3-1, where you're like, what the hell just happened? Because I think it was, like, four minutes left in the game, and New Jersey just came back and won the game. And they had no business being in the game. The Oilers just shredded them. But it was like, okay, we took our foot off the gas. We couldn't get it back. And that was one thing that I always got frustrated with the Oilers was the consistency of their structure. Because they would be fine when they were in control and they felt like, okay, you know, we we can handle the puck. We can get out of our zone cleanly. But the minute that they got pressed on and they were forced to play in their zone for extended periods of time, they get stretched out. That's when they get scored on. And it would be a bad turnover. It would be a bad goal. It would be a swing by player, by swing by by a top player. And, and you're like, okay, we just need more. And that's what Vegas exposed. You saw Vegas just chipped away at them. Structure, structure, structure. Until Edmonton's like, okay, we're going to try and open this up and play. So that's, you know, I look at it and I can say, well, yeah, the goaltending wasn't good enough. But I would also say their structure wasn't good enough consistently. They have structure, but they didn't play 60 minutes of structure. Jamie, this is um, uh, Jamie, before we let you go, I, I got – because I know you got uh, 
go put on a suit like Clark Kent and uh, yeah. <laughs> get after it with TSN. But I, I got one more question, and then uh, I'll uh, get you get you out of here. Um, what do you think of Connor McDavid putting up the bat signal and and summoning everybody to come and start the captain skates two weeks ahead of the rest of the league? I, I wrote a little article about it because to me it's a uh, almost like Kobe Bryant with the redeem team there teaching them that, that, you know, you guys work hard, but you can work even harder and, and all of, all of that. I loved it. You know what? I, the one thing that I've noticed that it's the maturation process of like a lot of the stars in the league, you can get all these trophies. You can get all of the personal accolades, you know, what rang out for me, it was a couple of years ago. I don't know if you remember, uh, Nathan McKinnon's comments saying, I've been in this league for nine years and I haven't accomplished you know what. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we're allowed to swear, so I'm not going to swear. Um, you can swear. <laughs> anyways, but he just said, I haven't accomplished shit in this league. That's what he said. And mm-hmm. and not that he, you know, the guy's a top tier player, one of the best on the planet, but he was like, I've been in this league nine years. I'm going to let you know how hard it is to win. It took Alex Arbetskin 13 years to win. And that guy's, you know, the greatest goal scorer of all time. So, you know, you, you look at it, and I think Connor and Leon especially have gotten to a point where it's like, hey, we've been in this league for a while now. We're, we're right in our, you know, in our prime. I think the manager's done a good job of trying to add to the, you know, some of the depth of this group. Um, you know, it's time for some of these kids to step up and take some of the pressure off of us. There's a lot of things that need to go right. You need help. Obviously, Kane was banged up. Hyman was banged up. You know, that that doesn't help. But, you know, it's all about this group, like, playing with structure. And I like the fact that he said, you know what, we're – that's all his message has been. Is I don't care about anything about winning right now. Mm-hmm. And I want everyone back here and focused. And we'll see how that goes, but it's pretty impressive, like very impressive to say um, what he's been doing as far as, you know, the type of leadership he's showing. And so I would, I, I, I hope it translates into the type of season he wants. Like, I don't know if he cares about getting 150 points as he cares about playing for a Stanley Cup. And I think that's what is important. I think Leon's the same way. So, and I think, you know, they, I think, I think Soupy is too. Yeah. Well, I, you know what? It's good because they're going to need him. I'm telling you right now, I, 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 I believe I said this and I don't know how you guys feel, but there are, if, if, and this is the bad, this is a bad analogy, but there are three reclamation projects alone in Alberta and two are in Calgary, Huberto and Markstrom. And the, the third one is in Edmonton, and it's Jack Campbell. Reclamation's the wrong word. Just bounce back season. Like I'm looking for bounce back seasons, and I I think Jack Campbell's poised to to have one, and I think I hope he does because I'm, he's a good guy. I'm so excited for Supi to kick ass this year. He's so, a good guy. So we want to thank our special guest, uh, Mr. Jamie McLennan, for joining us and sharing his stories, insights, and uh, we didn't get much of his humor. I heard he's a good impressionist, but we'll save that for maybe <laughs> down the road. I also want yeah. to thank thank the Emirate family in Spokane for uh, being weird to Jamie and and, oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> and 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 him getting to Lethbridge uh, so I could watch him play. Um, those yeah. days with you, Wes Walls, uh, Corey Lyons, Kelly Enns, um, Brad Rubichuk, and, and Dusty Amu, uh, those were pretty special. And, and there's so much more. You guys were great. Um, we appreciate I got, quick, I got two quick fire questions, quickly. Number one, <laughs> who, was your, who was your goalie idol growing up? Eddie Mio. And Eddie Mio was my guy. And then I met him and had some... Uh, some drinks with him in Phoenix one night when I was playing for St. Louis. Pretty cool because that's Gretzky's guy, eh? Yeah, yeah. They're best friends. So Eddie Mio was my guy growing up. Him and Mike Liu, yeah, they were they were uh, my two goalies. And Fierzy all of a sudden, Fierzy was my guy. Here's the craziest thing. I won the Dairy Queen shootout. Yeah, when, I, when I was, uh, I've got the ring light here, hold on. I won the Dairy Queen shootout when I was 12 years old and got my picture with Fierzy uh, at the first playoff game Andy Moog was playing. And um, 
years later, when I was 26 years old, I'm, I'm playing with Beersy in St. Louis. So it's kind of weird. That was a, that's, that's a surreal moment playing with one of the greatest of all time. I love Grant. He's the best. J- Jamie, for our YouTube thumbnail, we use that picture. And then there's a, another one where you're standing with Grant and you're kind of dwarfing him in that one. So yeah, I'm taller, I'm taller than Grant now. I use them both. <laughs> that's awesome. Who was your favorite goalie partner that you played with? Oh, uh, you know what? I was lucky to play like, okay. Ron Hextel was my first NHL goalie partner who was unbelievable because he taught me how to work hard. Like he, he was one of the hardest workers I've ever, and I still to this day, like respect him. And I've told him that I, Hexy and I, every time I see him, we have good chats. Um, Roman Turek was unbelievable. Like he was this giant, giant, really funny man. Um, Roberto Luongo, obviously Louie and I are so close. And Mika Kiprasov is a dear friend of mine. So I'm, I'm spoiled. And then I just mentioned the legend, Grant yeah. Beer. Like, I feel like Beers, he's on a different level because it's so surreal because he's like a god. So I don't even, there's times where I'm like, I, that guy's my friend, which I think is weird because it's like somebody I idolized. So um, I was lucky. So I, I would say there's like a five or six pack that I was, I was fortunate enough to play with because those guys were so impactful in my life along the way. Thanks so much, Jamie. Thank okay, you so gonna, much. Hold on. I'm going to answer these questions. Uh, <laughs> are you an Oiler fan? Uh, you know what? I grew up a, a fan of all teams, but I had favorite players, Grant Beer, Eddie Mio, all that. So I never, like, I never had a favorite team. I just always had favorite players. Uh, uh, Rob says Wayne's 894 goals might have a say in that. You're right. Although I think Ovechkin <laughs> might catch him, which is crazy. Um, but I, you know, obviously love Wayne. Uh, anything else? There's somebody in there talked about St. Albert. I grew up in St. Albert. I lived on Butterfield. Yes, I uh, I grew up at 50 Butterfield. Uh, and my parents, my when my dad passed away about 10 years ago, my mom sold the house. But uh, um, obviously, I still have a great connection to St. Albert. Some of my dear friends are still there, and I come back as as uh, as much as possible. So uh, do you? I miss, uh, oh yeah, I was there. Oh, a couple of weeks ago, I just popped in to see my mom. My mom lives lives in St. Albert still. I'll be out there in October for the outdoor game, uh, just to you know do some stuff there. So awesome. I, I, I I'm in I'm always in Alberta. I, I go to Calgary obviously because of my connection there, but I also go to Edmonton because I grew up there and it's still uh, one of my favorite places to go home. So it's awesome. Thank I'll need so to much, corner you. I'll need to corner you sometime then because when I retired uh, my goalie pads, I get any juggalers to sign the pads, and that's kind of my instead of just giving oh. them the pads away. So I need to corner you sometime and get you to sign my pads. I got Fuhrer on there, Ken Dryden, Curtis Joseph, so it'd be cool. That's pretty cool. Well, it's awesome. Well, thanks for having me, guys. And uh, I'm gonna run on to Sports Center here, but we'll chat soon. Okay, thanks for doing this, Jamie. We appreciate it a lot. All right, we'll chat soon. Take care. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jamie. So we're going to stick around for a little bit and uh, just kind of recap that. I mean, that was hashtag, a lot. Uh, no, hashtag fire Dustin Schwartz. It's, that's, that's the end result of that situation. Uh, Jamie's great. I mean, uh, you know, he asked for 45 minutes, but then he uh, extended that by another 10 for us. So that, that's awesome. Yeah, no, that, that's good stuff. And uh, I thought, I thought uh, Chad, you and him had a good car, a good thing going there back and forth. That was, that was a good, good little chat. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I love Jamie. Actually, my uncle Kurt told me that uh, back in the day. He said I played a goal a lot like Jamie McLean. It was pretty funny, actually. I, I, I had so him. I had so much I wanted to ask too. Like, oh yeah, I know. You know, I. I uh, about two weeks ago, I went to uh, a preseason junior A, the Storm here game, and um, young netminder, you know, the guy's got a puck, and he's kind of almost at the bottom of the circles, and the goalie still doesn't have a stick on the ice, and he's standing straight up. I'm like, when do you get ready? <laughs> I know. It happens a lot now. I see that too here in minor hockey. There's a goalie I'm working with again this year, and I saw the other kid at the other end. He was doing the same thing because they stand straight up, until they get into about the face-off circle, and then all of a sudden they go down to their uh, crouch. Yep. Sometimes it's <laughs> they're just, they're just you know not what, quite. You know what, name, quite, yeah, name Cardinal not, here on the chat? Yeah. Name, they're, not I, quite, they're not quite in the anymore, are they? 
Okay, uh, name cardinal on the chat. Always good to hear from your name. Uh, the better Fort Hawks goalie. I'll tell you what, there's a name that, that you're not even mentioning. The best Fort Hawks goalie I ever played against or even saw was uh, Dino Flat. He was he was amazing. I think he could have gone somewhere if he could have stayed away from some of the uh, outside distractions. So we'll probably stay on for like another 10 minutes or so. Um, I know the fantasy hockey hacks guys uh, tonight are making their debut on Edmonton sports talk. So I don't really want to overlap that too much, but uh, I, I think just, you know, another 10 minutes is cool. And I'm yeah. seeing, I'm seeing now Rashog has got Matthias Ekholm. Uh, I don't know if that's on got your back or what, what's going on there, but uh, they're going to talk to him. So people might want to yep. check that out too, but. We could, we could easily do a four-hour show with Jamie McClendon. Are you kidding me? Well, he has yeah. lots of good to give. Oh, yeah. Fuck. My sister's asking, is, as in Dean Flett? Yeah. Yep. My sister's up in Manning, so she might kind no of way. know what's going on Love there. you, Lori. Miss you. Love you. <laughs> Home of the Manning Comets. I used to play against them all the time, too, and I played in senior league with, for Fairview. So. She, she wanted me to ask Jamie out for her, but I think his wife and kids might have a problem with that, so I didn't approach uh, the subject. Laurie and it was, you know, it was real nice to uh, do this podcast and have the best seat in the house for you two to ask him questions, but <laughs> as a forward, I just sit back and enjoy it. There's so many other things. Like I, I looked at some of the guys he played with. Like he played with Brett Hull, Pierre Turgeon. Like he, he his first coach in the NHL was Al Arbor. Like yeah, there's so many stories he could share about that. Or I, go I, on I, about, so. I was gonna get into it with him and ask him, you know, who's the toughest shooter you faced and, yeah. and that kind of stuff. But um, I, you know, and what about what about in 2004? Like he was with the Flames. And he gets traded to the Rangers, and that's the year the Flames make to the final. <laughs> he missed on a finals run. Yeah, well, saved the heartbreak of losing Game Seven, I guess. I guess so. Yeah. And then he comes, and he comes back to the Flames and ends up as Kiprasov's goalie coach. That's hilarious. I love it. And- <laughs> Kipras- Kiprasov's goalie coach. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. He had. Do uh- you know what he coached Kiprasov on? Keeping him out of the pub. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, Jamie took all the penalties for Cooper. He had 54 minutes of penalties. 34 of them were with the Cal- Calgary Flames. Yeah. Although I have, you have to admit, though, Kiprasov with the Flames, and I hate to say this because I'm an Oilers guy through, like, we got the tattoo, is that fucker was a workhorse. Like, he worked hard. He played games. He played many, many. He like what what Jamie was talking about with the goalies today with the tandems and how you're hoping this guy plays fifty and this guy plays thirty. Like Kiprasov played eighty two and then went through the playoffs. Yeah, that guy yeah, was uh, is, I hated uh, him that he was playing, but man, I liked watching him play. Oh God, he yeah, was so good. He was a good goalie. So yeah. good. There, there were so I many flames for that. I hated Kiprasov. He was so good. There were so many flames that I liked, but they just wore the wrong jersey. I was a big Aginla fan, but I, I liked New and Dyke. Uh, you know, they had, used to have this little this little water bug named Paul Ranheim. I was a big fan of him too. Like they've had so many good players there. Al McKenna. Jeez. Theo. Just wrong jersey. Good old Theo. Theo is the only flame I ever really would not deny that I liked. Yeah, Jerome. And well, he's an Edmonton boy though, born and raised. Yeah, St. Albert again. <laughs> yep. Born and raised, Edmonton boy. Love him, Jerome. That was fun. Yeah, no, um, I love the fact that he's on board with us for the 2024 Jack Campbell Redemption Tour. Yeah, yeah, you got you got a vote there. That counts as two votes. I, yeah, I think I think I, I think I have to do it to do a favor to myself and get a forward here because this, this all this ghoulie talk is. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we had Robbie Shrimp on. Yes, we did. Yeah, okay, Robbie so now Shrimp. we need now we need a defenseman, I guess. <laughs> Chris Pronger, let's do it. Oh yeah, prong donkey, Pronger and Noodles at the same time would be legendary. Oh man, yeah, they played together too in St. Louis. They were together. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah. Pronger tells a story about eating a fucking shot, and breaking his ankle because Jamie kick saved the shot out to. Uh, oh man, Brett Hall, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff, eh? Yeah. 
Well, that's good. Uh, yeah, I, I wanted to reach. Oh, it's hard now, but Jason Strudwig it would be good to follow up after after Noodles, and and he's <laughs> both. He's a forward and a defenseman. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's right. Okay, boys, I'm calling it a night. Yeah, I think that does it. Um, thanks everybody for watching, and uh, we'll be back next week, probably Thursday, I would guess. But sometimes we get guests that are high profile, and we have to accommodate their schedules and not ours. Little mix up between me and Jamie on nine Mountain and nine Eastern. <laughs> so we met in the middle and went at eight o'clock. Worked good for Jamie. Worked good for us, I guess. Um, thanks everybody for watching. Keep your sticks on the ice. Keep reaching for the stars. Go Oilers go and uh, log on to heavyhockey.com for all your articles and uh, subscribe to 97 Octane Hockey on YouTube if you haven't already. Or you can also subscribe to the Heavy Hockey Network YouTube page. Thanks again, everybody. Good night. <laughs>